20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 789 of the Pack a Day Podcast, another Victory Monday edition of the show. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. And joining me is the ever knowledgeable Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, I have been insanely looking forward to talking to you about this Packers offense really since last week, but even more so after today's game. Packers win this one 42 to 21 to move to 2 and all in the season. Before we jump in, how the hell are you doing and how did you feel after that big win today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, you know, it's just uh, pretty exciting to sit here at a comfortable 2-0 and on Sunday night after week two with two pretty comfortable wins and uh, really running to win in the second half in both games and knocking uh, two divisional opponents out is always a great way to start the season. Yeah, it really is. So let's start with this. What is your tweet length review of this game or your opening salvo, your elevator speech, just your biggest takeaway from this game that you want to start off with? Well, I think the Packers have a lot of weapons and I think they have a lot of playmakers at the right positions and really good players at the right positions. And I feel like they've all emerged so far in 2020, whether that's Rogers, Devante, Aaron Jones, Bakhtiari, the Smith brothers, Jair, they're very talented at some cornerstone positions. And I feel like they've all shown up thus far in 2020. There's been some other teams around the league where their stars are maybe dinged up or maybe their stars are a little behind the eight ball and getting themselves acclimated to the season. I just feel like the Packers have shown up sharp, ready to go, and their best players are performing. And anytime you have that formula, I think you get what you got, you know, the past two weeks. Yeah, I think that's an astute point. And I'm right up there on the same page with you, but this Packers offense for me, is, you know, we, we've seen now 85 points through two weeks, 1,000 plus yards through two weeks. I loved the fact that last week it was a Devontae Adams game, 14 catches, 156 yards and two touchdowns. Today it's an Aaron Jones game, 236 all-purpose yards and three touchdowns for him. And while I love those results and I love those numbers, it's the process that I love even more. It's, Ben, you are the, you could have t-shirts printed of, you know, offense doesn't have to be so hard and Aaron Rodgers' best plays are from the pocket. You've been all over this for the the past few years now. And I, I feel like we're starting to see some of those concepts come to fruition. It's not just Aaron Rodgers having to be a wizard and creating plays and scrambling out of the pocket. We've seen him make a few of those spectacular plays over the course of the last few weeks but that's exactly what you want you want you know winning within the structure of the offense and then those ad-lib plays when you absolutely have to have them then go out and make those magical plays and he's done that and again I just love the process even more than I've loved the results because I love what I'm seeing on film and through the first couple games from this offense well I feel like the ad-lib and the improvisational stuff and the kind of second reaction throws have been a little few and far between through two weeks and it's easy to say when you know, your first reads are there and the offense is clicking and you don't ever need to get into those quote unquote panic situations. But this is what I wanted to change from Aaron Rodgers. You look at the four or excuse me, the 25 quarterbacks last year that dropped back 400 times and Aaron Rodgers is second to last in time to attempt. When you get older in the NFL at the quarterback position, you don't hold on to the ball longer. And I think this is where the philosophical kind of meat grinders have kind of met their match here is holding the ball and getting older in the NFL really don't mesh. So the stylistic change of Aaron Rodgers is one of the more subtle 
conversations that really wasn't being talked about. And this is who Aaron Rodgers is. You know, he was 26, or excuse me, 24th out of 26 in 2018. He was 27th out of 29th in 2016. He could roll back to a MVP-like season in 2011. He was 17th out of 22. He always holds the ball. This is his style. But through two weeks in 2020, I like he's playing from the pocket, he's distributing, and he's playing within rhythm in the offense. And aside from that Devontae Adams touchdown last week where he scrambled out to the right, really haven't seen him break the confines of the tackle box too often. And I'm okay with that, Andy. A million percent. I couldn't agree more that rhythm is is really the key thing that I've honed in on. And, and just watching him play with confidence from the pocket, get rid of the ball on time, throw with anticipation. That Robert Tanyan touchdown was a great example of that today, throwing with anticipation. Matt LaFleur mentioned that as well after the game. Do you think this is something – I know it's two weeks. I know it's just Minnesota and Detroit who are now both 0-2 on the season. But do you feel like this is a sustainable formula? Not putting up 1,000 yards or 500 yards per game and 40 points per game, but is this a sustainable formula for this Packers offense? I think absolutely. And we've seen it a variety of ways. And I think as long as they stay versatile and they stay clicking in that variety of ways to attack defenses – they are a really tough offense to stop or even slow down. And when you're running the ball successfully on early downs, and that's opening up everything else in the pass game off of that, and then you have the ability to finish games in the second half, and you can run to win maybe when you have a two-score game and you don't need to put 50 attempts on the back of Aaron Rodgers when you don't need to. It's a perfect formula to really threaten defenses on a week-to-week basis, and we have multiple guys to do it. If it's not Devontae, it can be Aaron Jones, or you know, it can be you know the, the committee of backs, or maybe one of these other exciting young wide receivers like Valdez Scantling we've seen generate several big plays in his young career, another 41-yard catch today. It seems like he has a 30-plus, 40-plus yard gain once a game for the team. So as long as they stay multiple and prove that they can be efficient attacking in multiple ways, really, really tough to stop. Yeah, I've, I've gone over this before, but I, it really feels almost like a, a platoon situation in baseball where you've got your two power hitters and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones hitting in the middle of the lineup. And then, then you're just working with matchups depending upon what pitcher you're going against. And if they need a power runner, they got A.J. Dillon. You need a possession guy, you've got an Alan Lazard. You need a speed guy down the field, you've got an MBS. A gadget, you got a Tyler Irvin. I just love, you know, Jamal Williams brings a variety of tools. It's a very to complementative stable of weapons. I, exactly. I never really looked at it like that, but when you start picking and choosing and all their different traits and skill sets, it's so diverse across the board. And even when you're missing a guy like Josiah DeGuara today, you know, to have, you know, a couple of guys like John Lovett, and I, I know Jay Sternberger struggled a bit today, which we're going to get to in a moment, but uh, to even have guys like that who can do at least some of the similar things. And then you've still even got a Mercedes Lewis, who's basically like an offensive tackle at times. I know you and I both saw him last week against Minnesota on a couple of those plays. He's pass protecting for what, all the attention was on Bakhtiari on that 10 second play, but on the other side of the field, Mercedes Lewis is doing the exact same thing. He He's a weapon in his own way as well, even if he's not quite the receiving threat he used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been a little critical of the Packers this offseason and maybe not addressing some of those needs with more veteran presence. But they do have veteran presence on the team, like a Mercedes Lewis. And it's just so refreshing to see, like I just mentioned before, when the stars are showing up and the veterans are showing up and you can rely on those players. There's a lot of teams around the league where their veterans are letting them down right now. And that's an awful, awful formula. I just think the Packers, the best players are showing up 
and the veterans are showing up and being reliable. And I think that's a great foundation for a team to make a run and to deal with adversity through the season because it's going to happen. But you have that foundation, you have that core, that nucleus, I think it's going to keep them strong through 17 weeks. Yeah, we're only two weeks in, but I can't think of anyone off the top of my head where you're, you know, scratching your head and being like, well, that's a contract we have to get rid of because he's not even remotely playing up to expectations. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, maybe an Adrian Amos hasn't had the greatest start for the first two weeks, but I don't think that's, a, you know, someone that you're looking to, you know, jettison off just because of that. Yeah, I just think, like you said, everyone's playing up to, you know, what your expectations of them would be. And that's, that's a rare statement throughout any team in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I follow the Philadelphia Eagles really closely, and we had to move, you know, uh, Brandon Brooks got hurt at right guard. Jason Peters is going to fill in at right guard. Then, uh, you know, they had an issue at left tackle, and Peters goes back to left tackle. Well, I got news. Jason Peters has not played well the first two weeks at left tackle. And when you have the cornerstone veteran players not living up to what you expect when other things are going wrong, that's just a really rough formula to deal with. So there's teams around the league going through some really tough times right now. But when you're not getting that performance from the vets on the team, that's just a dangerous kind of uh, waters to start charting there. I just feel like the Packers have a really good foundation with their star players and the veteran presence. Couldn't agree more. Let's talk some Aaron Jones because this is another on-brand topic uh, for Ben Fennell. Uh, I know you've loved some Aaron Jones for some time, and I thought his catch today that he had down the field was very reminiscent of one that you posted on your timeline a few times before from college where he caught it down the field in the end zone, kind of over his head, if I remember correctly. But this was not just, you know, running back Aaron Jones. This was him, you know, being a dual threat weapon. What was your take on his play today and what he can bring to this offense? I just find it that much more interesting or mind-boggling or kind of pick and choose the word to see what he did at UTEP not only running the ball but like you had mentioned high pointing at being 5-9 in the end zone like that clip I had put up or some wheel routes or an angle route or you put on that tape against Arkansas an SEC defense and he's carving them up in the pass game they line him up in the slot on third down and throw him a speed out how do you see that production in the pass game and not look to maybe feature him in the pass game. And I'm talking about that kind of, you know, Mike McCarthy usage of Aaron Jones early in his career. Now, I know Aaron Jones was dinged up early in his career and was buried on the depth chart and had some other things working against him. But the past two years and what we've seen from Aaron Jones, not only in the pedestrian checkdowns and the screen game and in the open field, but getting himself open, winning down the field, and making plays on the ball like a wide receiver – I said it that at first year. He is just as talented as the other running backs in that class, Alvin Kamara, Tariq Cohen, Christian McCaffrey. He just didn't get the opportunities. And now we're seeing he's getting the opportunities 19 touchdowns later last year, and nobody's questioning it. And I just think it's really interesting to look at his talent with Mike McCarthy and to not want to use his upside in the pass game because that's part of his value. And like Aaron Nagler kind of mentioned today, just tongue-in-cheek, you're not just paying him to be a running back, you're paying him to be a receiver. This is a dual-threat weapon and one of the best in the NFL. It's really fun to watch him on a week-to-week basis get the opportunities to showcase that skill set. I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's been a lot made of, you know, well, should the Packers pay Aaron Jones – 
I'm generally in the camp of don't give running backs money, but I'm also very much in the camp of give weapons money. And to me, Aaron Jones is a weapon. He's shown now that this is not just a running back. This is somebody who can impact the passing game as well. The contracts for running backs that I have not minded anywhere near as much have been the Christian McCaffrey and the Elvin Kamara type contracts. Because again, these are not just running backs that you're giving, you know, 30 touches to or trying to, you know, feed and run through a defense. These are people you can split out wide, get mismatches with. And we've seen how valuable Aaron Jones is to this Matt LaFleur offense. I'm fully on board with trying to find a way to keep him around. Uh, the, the salary cap discussion is probably a, a conversation for another day, but mm-hmm. to me, when he brings that much to the table, you got to find a way to keep him on the roster. Now, the issue with that, Andy, is like I put out an article in August of last year just saying, hey, I think he's going to blow up, and he did. And listen, he exceeded my expectations. I did not expect a 19 touchdown season and some of the plays he had in the run in the past game. The issue that creates is if you view the players like stocks, his stock soared through the roof. Right. And that's not the time to pay guys. <laughs> so if there's a little bit of trepidation by the, the team, hopefully, I don't know if it's a weird word to say, hopefully, but wanting him to kind of level back out just a little bit and then find a good deal that works for both parties. If you want to pay a commodity when their stock is busted through the glass ceiling, then that's when you get in some issues of overpaying people and then the production comes back down and then there's some suddenly uh, you know, a missing part of the equation. That's a great point. But as uh, these first couple of weeks have shown, both Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, <laughs> both playing at a tremendously high level and their prices, as you mentioned, continue to you know, skyrocket at the moment. We touched base a little bit on the tight end usage and what we've started to see out of Josiah DeGuar early in the season. Mercedes Lewis as that run blocking weapon. But Tanyan versus Sternberger has kind of been an interesting side note. Tanyan had a much better day today. He did have that drop uh, a little bit earlier in the game. It was a more contested catch. It wasn't just a flat-out drop, but probably one he should have came down with. But did have the touchdown, had another catch later in the game. Thought he was a little bit better as a blocker today. On the flip side, Jay Sternberger, two really rough drops, uh, both in, in kind of open space and open field. I guess, thankfully, one of them would have been called back via penalty anyway. But either way, a, a tough start of the season for Jace. Yeah, absolutely. The drops were tough. And, you know, you knew he was going to get some more opportunities with DeGuar being out. And I thought they would be a little more creative with his usage. Uh, but we ended up seeing John Lovett a little bit more in that fullback spot and uh, kind of a rotation of different bodies in there. But Sternberger, I think, is kind of counting his days here as far as getting opportunities and losing trust, not only from the coaching staff, but Aaron Rodgers. And there's guys like Alan Lazard and his ability to block and be a physical presence, not only, you know, in the alley and out in the perimeter, but to crack down on defensive ends and to mix it up with linebackers. I don't think the Packers have any issue with giving Alan Lazard snaps that otherwise would have gone to Jay Sternberger. I think that's a spot on, uh, you know, analysis. And I also think too, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they utilize these tight ends, H-backs slash fullbacks moving forward. They do have a couple open spots on the roster. EQ just went on IR um, and Lane Taylor is just kind of biding time. Eventually he's going to go on IR as well. But John Lovett, they just used the, for the second time moving up to the active roster. If they do it again, he would be subject to waivers. So he could be somebody that they put on the active roster, but if not, he may stay on the practice squad now for a little while, unless maybe injuries happen at that position. But either way, 
I think you can see a little bit of the writing on the wall where he's becoming the, the and he, I mean, Jay Sturmberger is becoming the, the fourth option in that tight end group behind Josiah DeGuara, Mercedes Lewis, and Robert Tanyan. And that's certainly not a place that he wants to be as a second year tight end that a lot of people, myself included, thought could be a potential breakout candidate for this offense. Yeah. And I tracked the tight end personnel last week. So they used a lot of 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends. But Sternberger was rarely featured in the 12 personnel sets. He was often on the field for 11 personnel. Now, I think he only played 15 snaps total, so he didn't play a whole lot in general. But what that tells me is they seem to be a little bit less pleased with his ability to block and maybe give that run game disguise in some of those 12 personnel schemes. But he did get some opportunities to line up out wide in those 11 personnel. So he must be doing something right in practice in the pass game and whether that's winning or winning uh, in his route or at the catch point or down the field to earn those snaps in the game. So while they still might view him as a pass game weapon, I think his ability to contribute kind of in the tackle box and being more of a physical player, I'm just not sure they really trust him right now. Yeah, he's going to have to start, you know, catching the obvious ones and playing a little bit better if he wants to earn more of those snaps. We've kind of discussed already as we kind of wrap up the offensive play here, but we, we kind of discussed, you know, how well this offensive lo- has looked in the second year under Matt LaFleur. But in your opinion, what's the biggest difference so far? I know we're two games in. I don't want to jump to any conclusions. Nobody's crowning Green Bay anything yet. But what's been the biggest difference so far between year one Matt LaFleur and the first two games through this season where the offense has been so explosive? Well, I think we're finally seeing those little, I don't want to say analytics, but there's different intricacies and elements to his offense that can help the offense and help the quarterback. And I think Aaron Rodgers was just a little bit stubborn with what he liked as far as offensive football. And he's slowly coming around and seeing the effectiveness of some of the Matt LaFleur stuff. And you can go as far as talking about the bunches and shifts that they used on 52 out of the 78 plays against Minnesota. So that's fifth highest in the NFL for week one. He was 14th last year, but they were 30th under McCarthy. So you could see the slow trend towards a new offense, a new style from 30th to 14th, and they were fifth after week one. I'm interested to see uh, what it looked like in the tape today. And then the other thing is bunches. 26th last year under McCarthy in 2018. One year under LaFleur, 16th. So you're making your way back up the pack after week one, sixth most in the NFL. So slowly changing the offense. And these are things to help the quarterback, help guys get off the line of scrimmage, help identify coverages, help confuse defenses with pre-snap movements and shifts. So these are all things that aid the offense. So I'm glad to see LaFleur growing the offense, Rodgers seemingly accepting of the offense as well. But you're going to see more of his imprint and slowly change that McCarthy era philosophies into what Matt LaFleur wants it to be. And I think for me, going along with that, I don't know if this is something you picked up on last week, but there were a a few plays. One of them was the MVS drop uh, over the middle, but where they were, you know, basically using some of these mesh concepts, some of these crossing routes where there's inherent pick plays within the route and not illegal pick plays, but just natural picks 
and they did a, a few of them last week. They had great success with it, and they would have had even more if it had it not been for the MBS drop. And this week, they were clinical with it, especially on third downs on a couple plays. Even the touchdown on the pass to Aaron Jones had a little bit of a natural pick to it. I posted one on Twitter already. There's a play where Aaron Jones is coming across on the crosser, and his li the linebacker that's covering Aaron Jones on the play has three different picks, basically, that he has to work through. The first one was Lazard and his defender. Then the second one, I believe, was Robert Tanyan and his defender. And then the third one was MVS. And the linebacker just had no chance. Just one-on-one -on -one with Aaron Jones is tough enough. But when you're working through three separate rubs on one play, I mean, just good luck. I think Jones got, I don't know, 16 to 20 yards on that specific play. So I've been seeing a lot more of those, and they've been very, very successful. And you just love seeing Matt LaFleur get easy completions for the offense. Yeah, I mean, that Aaron Jones play that you're talking about, I think it went for 22 yards, but it was so similar to the touchdown catch yep. where he just flared out to the left and a linebacker had to work his way through, I think, three different offensive players to track Aaron Jones getting from the right side of the offense to the left side of the offense. So I just love seeing those different elements in the offense and no play goes out there naked. Whatever your intent is, there's got to be something to either help the quarterback with processing, information, receivers releasing, receivers uncovering. There's no reason, like I always say, to make moving a football down the field so hard. And when you see these other well-run offenses around the NFL and easy completions and RPOs and stack receivers, and it's like, oh, man, that was such an easy gain right there. That could come to Green Bay too, guys. And I think we're slowly kind of coming out of this, you know, bleed you dry offense all the time into, hey, you know what, offense can be easy. And Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to be a superhero to win games. And I think we've seen that. And that's okay. And I love that we can run the win. You know, back-to-back -back games of 150 rushing yards. It's the first time since week 15, 16 of 2014. And Matt LaFleur has run the ball 30-plus times in five of the last six games. So this is a guy that's not afraid to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. And that's okay. You have a stable back, uh, backs in the backfield and a good offensive line. We could run the ball, establish a lead, and run the win as well. And I think that's a great balance to have. It really is. And, you know, you see it in the results, but it's also great to see. I mean, every one of these players is getting involved because they're having success on offense. When you're able to run, what, 60, 70 plays per game because your offense is consistently in motion and consistently putting up points, uh, everyone's getting involved. Everyone's pretty much happy on offense. There's nobody that's kind of been left out of the equation. Uh, it's not going to be that way forever, but it's a really fun way to play offense. And just some of the, the easy, easy plays equate to easy wins equate to uh you know explosive plays and it's just been really fun to see what Matt LaFleur has been able to do with that offense as a whole let's jump over to defense and I'm really interested to hear your perspective on this defensive performance because it, it feels Jekyll and Hyde and my gut feeling coming out of both of these weeks was that the defense maybe was not as good as I would have liked it to be and, and not great overall but then you like you you look at some of the peripherals and, you know, you get the pick six by Chan and Sullivan, you allow only 21 points, five three and outs forced, only 307 total yards. With that 21 points, if you kind of do a net total, the 21 points minus the pick six, you're basically at a net 14 points for the defense. They sacked Stafford four times. Overall, if you would have told me going into the game that that would have been the stat line, I would have said, hell yeah, sign me up, you know, 16 games a year for that type of performance. But there's times where it doesn't feel that way. 
What was your overarching take from the defense the past couple weeks and specifically in this game? You know, that's a great way to put it because the past two weeks, I've really struggled to put my finger and thought on a narrative on the defense. Winning, obviously, two games is great, but it hasn't always felt great at times. And obviously, Minnesota, I don't think the score was particularly representative of how the game went. But at the end of the day, it was 40-something, 30-something. And today, there are a couple big chunk plays, and it hasn't always felt great. But I think I finally came to terms with how I want to formulate the team and what they're doing. And it just feels like they're not hurting themselves. And you see a lot of teams around the league right now with coverage busts, penalties, injuries, with young guys being thrust into the lineup, confusion. I just feel like they're not hurting themselves. And everything that the opposing teams want to do on them is going to take a great drive and great plays and to slow burn them down the field. And like you mentioned, the three and outs, you know, Jair had the safety last week and Chandon had the pick six this week, which I really felt were kind of tide turning type of plays. But only one out of 21 drives that the defense has started has been outside the 25-yard line. I think that was the 35. So the offense isn't turning the ball over and giving the defense short fields. Special teams coverage units are doing their job. And just forcing teams to go a long way is exhausting all the time. And I think the Packers have been opportunistic when they have their opportunities or getting the big plays on offense. But at the end of the day, Andy, they're just not hurting themselves in any phases. And there's a lot of studs on offense in the NFL. They're going to give up some chunk plays. They're going to miss some tackles here and there. But can you limit it? Can it be manageable and you not hurt yourselves, particularly late into ball games? And I feel like as the Packers have played on into the second half, they've cleaned up some of those mistakes and have really been a tough team to go 70, 80 yards every drive to get points. Yeah, and if you look at it, if you, and I know the game is four quarters long, so this is a, a bit of a weak caveat maybe, but end of the third quarter in both games, Packers 29 to 10 last week and 34 to 14 today. So they're a 20 point, you know, 20 point lead today, 19 point lead last week heading into the third quarter. And I, I don't necessarily want to call it garbage time because both, you know, especially Minnesota kind of worked their way back, you know, within 10 and, and got a little bit close last week at times, but it's definitely not the same as when things are a little bit more intense through those first three quarters and you're trying to get a foothold in the game. I hated last week how Minnesota was able to drive down for the opening touchdown. I hated the the drive before the end of the half that gave them the easy three points. And then of course the three straight touchdowns to end last week, you still don't like to see. And in fact, if you do the first two touchdowns this week, Green Bay allowed five straight drives with touchdowns and three of those had two point conversions. So they allowed 38 <laughs> points in five drives through the end of last game to the beginning of this game, which I have to believe is a record for the most points allowed in a five drive, you know, span even between games, but then they kind of buckled down again. They, they start the second half with a three and out. Uh, what was it? A three and out, a pick six and a three and out. And then, you know, the, the game is basically over, but a part of me also feels like part of the success for this off or the defense has been the fact that the offense has been able to kind of gain a foothold, get a little bit of lead and allow green Bay to play from ahead, which hasn't put quite as much stress on that run defense, which I think would be a lot worse if the offense wasn't producing at quite a, quite the level that they have been. Yeah. And that's fair. You know, looking at those kind of opening drives, you go eight plays for 60 and a touchdown 13 for 75 and a touchdown. 
But in the middle of those, there's really only two big plays they gave up. The Adrian Peterson big run off the right-hand side, and I think TJ Hawkins had had a big gain. But the Packers are just doing everything right. They're not turning the ball over, you know, uh, on offense. They're not coming off the field quickly with three and outs. So sustaining drives, playing field position, never putting the defense in bad positions, it just gets exhausting. And as you're looking at this Detroit drive chart where they had touchdown, touchdown, and suddenly three and out, three and out, three and out, pick six, three and out. Now they're behind multiple scores. Now the Packers got you right where they want you. They really do. And, and going back to last season, I thought, you know, there, there were a lot of ups and downs last season, even in a 13 and three season. But one thing that they were spectacular at was, you know, holding on to the football, generating turnovers, winning the turnover battle in, in almost every single game. And like you said, not hurting themselves. Now they're doing the exact same thing, but you add an explosiveness to that offense and consistency is maybe the better word. It's not like they're putting a ton of explosive plays, although I guess today they had a, a few more of them, but uh, just the consistency on offense. And uh, I think that that's going to be a winning formula more often than not, even if you have a couple of those bend and break drives when you're trying to bend and not break. And I like the adversity, you know, Andy, I like the 14, nothing off the rip, like almost like walking out to the basketball courts and you wipe off the bottom of your shoes. Like, all right, it's going to be a track meet today because we saw some of those games last year. Anytime green Bay allowed 30 plus points, they lost all four of them last year. We saw what happened when the game got out of hand early to the Niners. So this is all kind of, part of the training process and putting yourself in positions, putting yourself in different scenarios throughout the season that you might face in the playoffs in the Super Bowl, like a San Francisco, hey, you give up two, three scores early, just like the Kansas City Chiefs did and had to rally and ended up winning a Super Bowl. But just because you get behind early, it doesn't mean you throw in the towel. It just means that's the narrative for that game. Let's rally together. And I, you know, I just really like seeing a little adversity early then the rest of the day seems like they buckle down, and I'm okay with that. 100% agreed. And I'll, I'll kind of go in a, a similar direction with that adversity. One of the big pieces of adversity was on defense today with no Kenny Clark. They had to, you know, kind of fill in with, you know, Tyler Lancaster, Kingsley Kiki, Dean Lowry, have those guys play a little bit more snaps. Montrevious Adams played a little bit more this week. What is your takeaway on the, the Packers' run defense? I know Detroit had to kind of get away with it or away from it as the score kind of got a little bit more out of hand. But um, thoughts on how they did replacing Kenny Clark today? Yeah, I'm going to be interested to watch the tape and see uh, how Dean Lowry and Lancaster played and Kingsley Kiki uh, obviously got the start and played a little more snaps. But it seems like they went with some more two linebacker sets with uh, Kirksey and uh, Chris Barnes out there and – um, I just don't think they went to as many dime sets with six defensive backs. So I'm just interested to see personnel wise, if they did anything a little bit different just to make up for the lack of Kenny Clark. But I really felt like when I watched the game initially on TV, the run defense got gashed. But when you take away that one 25 yard gain by Adrian Peterson, which was really Zadarius Smith's essentially one of his worst plays as a Packer so far. It was his fault. He gave up contain, got a little nosy with the tight end split zone action. Everybody else was in man-to-man coverage. So when the tight end goes from right to left, the defender removes himself. When the receiver blocks in, the corner is going to move in. So when you're in man-to-man coverage, you get caught in some uh, precarious situations against the run there. But you remove the 25-yard gain from the day, they were 20 for 64 yards otherwise. So I felt like they really kind of held him in check and limited the explosive plays, and it didn't feel as bad as maybe some of the uh, the gashes had looked on TV. 
All right, one more thought I want to get from you on the defense, and that was the play of Rashawn Gary. Thought he had a couple of nice pressures, a sack and a half. Uh, really led to the pick six by Chandon Sullivan. Had a, a one play where he did, a, you know, I thought he did a nice job converting speed to power. This looks, to me at least, like a, a different Rashawn Gary this year. Yeah, absolutely, and I love that speed to power play you had put up because he's not running around people anymore, Andy. We're going from point A to B, working in more power rushes and doing it the right way. And that particular one, he sells speed rush, takes a hard line inside at the inside shoulder and just tries to burst through that B gap and really get in the quarterback's face. No longer getting stuck behind the quarterback. He's retracing or flattening and keeping himself in the play, going from A to B with his rushes. It's all just cleaning up just that rookie finesse stuff where you think you can run around players and you think you're an elite athlete. You have to be technical to play in the trenches. You got to have a good first step. You got to use your hands. You got to have counter moves. But at the end of the day, you have to keep yourself alive. And I feel like he's keeping himself alive and active in plays that much more. And I think we're going to see more plays be, be created because of that. There were a lot of players that were getting buzz in training camp this year and at practice, and rightfully so, and we've seen a lot of them perform well uh, through games so far. But of all the players that were getting buzz, I always go back to, our, it's great to you know see Alan Lazard and Tim Boyle and, and some of these guys playing well, but which one is going to be able, to, or are any of them going to be able to bring their game to the next level and actually be a game changer? Are they going to be somebody who the opposing coordinator is going to be, you know, kept up at night a little bit longer because they're going to have to figure out how they're going to stop this individual player. And of all the players this, this off season, the one that jumped out to me that could have the potential to be a little bit more of a game changer was Rashawn Gary, just based off of what I saw in practice. The first two weeks have been really encouraging. No, again, nobody's crowning him through two weeks yet either, but it's been really exciting to see his progress from what we saw last year through the first couple games of this year. Yeah, and my kind of arc of Rashawn Gary, just for the fans' perspective, I felt like early on he tried to show with show up with what he had. Then he was getting coached, and you could see he was just thinking too much out there. And I think the game is slowly starting to slow down for him. And once he starts to make a couple more plays, get more snaps, stay on the field, the game slow down for you, you're going to be that much more confident. And when he starts playing more confident and faster – this guy can be an absolute terror. And I know Mike Pettin is really excited about all the different ways they can use him. And I really think he may be more of a Zadarius Smith type of walk around, blitzer, crash from depth at times than ever just being a pure speed rusher. He's a little stiff-hipped, and I'm not sure he'll ever really be able to clear the top corner of offensive tackles. I just don't think that's going to be his knack and the way his body is built. But he is an absolute powerful, relentless athlete. And the second the game slows down, he stops thinking and he just trusts himself and is confident. He can be an absolute nightmare in the NFL. Right there with you. Uh, let's go kind of, uh, you know, speed round for the rest of this. So let's start with player of the game. Uh, for me, I'll start. It was Aaron Jones. I know that's just cliche because he had a fantastic game, but, uh, you know, statistically, but I, I thought he did everything really, really well. I thought the, 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 the degree of difficulty on that catch down the field uh, was really impressive. You know, he had the, the, the touchdown off of the swing pass, you know, the 75-yard run where he split the safeties. He, he put the total package out on the field today, and it was a, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. And I just I don't think you can give player of the game to anyone else, although I'll give you the opportunity to do so if you would like. That's going to be tough to beat there, Andy. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to say 
No, we have to stick with Aaron Jones there. I mean, 236 all-purpose yards, beating his record from last year against Kansas City with 226. That's the most by a Packers running back since 2005. This is a really new phenomenon of the Packers involving the running backs in the pass game. And we could kind of go through our little Rolodex of Eddie Lacy and Ryan Grant and, you know, X, Y, and Z, Sam Congato and all of our favorites back there. We never feature the running back back there. And the fact that Aaron Jones is a dual threat player for the Green Bay Packers, it's exciting. And he had several games last year of over 180, 90 yards all purpose. He already has a 230 under his belt this year. Really excited to see where he goes from here. The Packers won a Super Bowl with John Kuhn being one of their primary running backs in the backfield. <laughs> I think so, yes, Brandon Jackson was back Yeah, there Brandon too. Jackson and uh, James Starks towards the end of the year. But, yeah, <laughs> this, this is a little bit of a change of pace uh, from those days, to say the least. All right, let's go play of the game. I'll let you pick the, your play of the game first this time. You know, it's tough to, to pick one from the third quarter. I would love to go with the 75-yard touchdown by Aaron Jones. It was on the first or second play of the quarter that I know the stadium would have just absolutely erupted. It was a pretty close game. But I got to go with Shannon Sullivan's pick six because that was that second score early third quarter that really separated them from the Lions and put Lions into catch-up mode. I mean, coming out of halftime, it was 17-14. It was a close game, three-point game. All of a sudden, you go up 10, and then all of a sudden, you go up 17, and the Lions are up against the wall. I just feel like the Jones play, but then the Chan and Sullivan pick six with them backed up, man, the stadium would have absolutely been rocking for those, Andy. I think the, the, you know, the right answer is, uh, is the Chan and Sullivan pick six. That's probably what I would have went with as well. But since I went cliche with the Aaron Jones pick for player of the game, I'll take a little bit of an off-the-wall one. And I just think one of the underrated plays in this game, and I always kind of look for these little game-changing moments that, that, that kind of go unnoticed. And it was right before halftime. The, the Lions are up 14-10, to 10, and they're down at their own one-yard line. Darius Smith had just gotten the, the sack at the one-yard line. And basically, Green Bay has no timeouts. Detroit just wants to get out of the half and, and get out of there. And they run a little run play up the middle. It's nondescript. But basically, that's going to bring the, the clock down to about 25 seconds. Assuming the same punt travels as far as it did on the, the, the ensuing play, Green Bay basically would have got the ball at about their own 37, 38-yard line with 25 seconds left, down 14 to 10. And, and probably, you know, maybe they could have gotten in field goal range, but they probably would have been, you know, pressed even to do that with no timeouts. And they probably, in some way, shape, or form, go into halftime with a deficit. But instead, Chris Barnes uh, kind of shoots through a gap, actually draws a holding penalty on the play, uh, which, again, is a, a fairly nondescript play because Detroit declines the penalty and they punt away. But the holding penalty stops the clock when Green Bay didn't have any timeouts left, leaves a minute eight on the clock. Green Bay takes over on their own 37-yard line with a minute seven, minute eight left. I forget which, what, it, what it was, but um, – a huge change because they now have plenty of time to go down the field and score a touchdown. Of course, they drive all the way down, get the touchdown to Tanyan, and then they get the kick in the second half. The first play is the 75-yard run by Aaron Jones. And now you've got a two-possession lead before Detroit even touches the ball again, rather than, you know, even if things went perfectly and you kick a field goal and score a touchdown, Detroit's still within one score at that point, and it's a totally different ballgame. So you have this play that, again, is mostly nondescript. It's not going to show up in the box score. doesn't really do anything for you when you're watching it, but it was just kind of one of those really unique plays that actually changed uh, the outcome of the game rather significantly. Yeah, that's a really good one there, Andy. It was just such a uh, 
kind of a starting point for the, you know, the ripples that were to come there at the end of the half and early third quarter. You know, as I'm looking here at the, uh, the, the players that play and the personnel, we were really close aside from uh, some big fourth quarter contributions from A.J. Dillon of having very minimal snaps from 2020 draft picks. And I think Jonathan Garvin got in there a little bit. But outside of him and the A.J. Dillon in the fourth quarter, do you think we'll ever see a game this season with no draft picks contributing? I think that could absolutely be the case. You know, Vernon Scott had the sack today too. So that was uh, Scott. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So he had a couple, but I, again, his, his contributions were mostly nondescript outside of that. And I think just a handful of snaps and kind of some, you know, heavy, probably like quarters personnel to be honest. But uh, I think we could see that, you know, loves not seeing the field. You know, I think there's, I, there's easily a, a scenario where, where Dylan doesn't see the field. And we were very close to that today. You know, I think DeGuara is probably going to be the X factor, right? So if DeGuara is is in there, um, I think he's going to see probably 15, 20 snaps at minimum. If he's out, then I think it changes things. And I do think as Kamal Martin comes back, I, I believe Kamal Martin or Chris Barnes will be on the field at all times, you know, not at all times, but one of them is going to be seeing, you know, 15 to 20 snaps per game. So I think there'll be rookie contributions, but I think we're probably looking in most cases like under 50 snaps per game. I think last week I, I said it was like 77 snaps for the, the rookie class, including undrafted free agents. And that included like Tipa Naliai and, um, you know, Chris Barnes and, and some players like that. But I do think most weeks it's going to be, you know, 40, 40, 50 or less snaps. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, DeGuara is certainly going to be the X factor. If he's healthy, there's no way he's not involved. And I just need to know what he's been doing at practice that earned himself three vertical attempts <laughs> or vertical routes against the Vikings. Really excited to see those uh, down the field concepts from the fullback position there. But you only earn that after doing something in practice. So coming right out of the gate, week one, the floor designed a bunch of plays down the field for him, which I was surprised because some of those were cover three beaters and the Vikings don't play cover three. I would have thought it could have been used this week for the Lions, but anyways. Yeah, who knows? But <laughs> yeah, you you think he's going to probably continue to get involved in those situations, but you just know that Matt LaFleur was dying to have somebody who could run those type of plays. And you know that's why they kind of wanted to go out and get somebody like that as well. I know – there were some people on the Danny Vitale train uh, a season ago, but he, I don't think he ever really filled exactly what Matt LaFleur wanted out of that position. And I think now that he has somebody that can run those concepts, I think he was probably uh, a little too juiced up to maybe get some of those in, in week one, never really hit on one. And like you said, maybe it wasn't the exact right time to do it, but I, I don't think you can blame Matt LaFleur for trying it when he finally got his, his toy at the H-back position that he's probably been, been wanting. Yeah, I'll certainly be looking for him uh, from here on out. All right, quick injury updates. Uh, Devontae Adams, of course, left with a hamstring. Tyler Irvin evaluated for a concussion. Corey Lindsley with a hand injury. All three of those players did not return to the game, although Irvin and Lindsley were fairly late. I went back and I watched really closely on Devontae Adams. The play before he went out for the game, actually the entire drive, his, his last drive, there was nothing that really looked like anything, nothing where he grabbed back on his hamstring or anything. It kind of had the feel of if this game was closer – he maybe could have continued. I don't know that for a fact at all, but just based on the fact, it, it almost felt like the, the play where maybe it could have happened was the, the play that he got horse collared. Um, but I was watching him. There was no play that ever looked like there was anything that happened. And again, even the last couple of plays before he went out, there was nothing there whatsoever. So 
Hopefully that was more precautionary, but that's definitely going to be one to keep an eye on. Tyler Lancaster left for a bit, but did come back in the game. I know Robert Tanyan went out shortly as well, but I, I believe he came back. Don't quote me on that, but those were kind of the five key injuries out of this one. Devontae's the one that we're going to want to keep the closest eye on, but Corey Lindsley really played a really nice game as well, and hopefully his is nothing serious either. I'd say the Devante injury is probably the most concerning out of the group there, but uh, it didn't seem like it was too serious. Hopefully that's the case. All right, quick look ahead to the New Orleans Saints. We get two just gangbusters games next week. We get Saints-Packers on Sunday night football and then Ravens-Chiefs on Monday night football. That's legitimately as good as it gets. Uh, what are your, your kind of key look-aheads as we start taking a look at Saints-Packers? Yeah, we can all comfortably watch the Saints tomorrow night facing the Raiders. So they're doing a little back-to-back primetime games from Monday night to Sunday night. But a uh, really good competitive team. I think it's going to be a fun game, kind of a playoff matchup there. Just really interested to see some of these new changes from the Saints, uh, particularly tomorrow. We're going to watch them against the, the Raiders there. I want to see how they're using Malcolm Jenkins now on his way back over since leaving for Philadelphia. And it's a couple of young guys on there. It's a pretty veteran team, but they're working in a rookie right guard. I want to see if Zach Bond, the uh, outside linebacker from Wisconsin, gets some more snaps this week. So a lot of interesting young players on that team as well. Yeah, I'm going to be keeping an eye on the health of the two-star receivers in Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas. Hopefully both can play, and both can play at a high level. That just makes that game that much more fun. And I'm sure we'll be seeing some uh, Ty Montgomery as well. I don't know if you saw going around. They used some creative formations last week. A little full-house backfield with Alan Kamara at the Wildcat quarterback. You know if if there's a player with any sort of versatility whatsoever <laughs> that, that Sean Payton's going to find a way to use that versatility. So that does not surprise me. I'm sure Taysom Hill, Kamara, Ty Montgomery, all of them will be on the field at the same time. Drew Brees will be at receiver. Who the hell knows? But they'll find a way to have fun <laughs> with it. Interesting connection to you. you have Ty Montgomery, you have Taysom Hill, obviously spend his time with the Packers. Even some weird connections like Emmanuel Sanders choosing New Orleans over Green Bay this past offseason and really not being too shy about it either. So uh, a few uh, few little interesting connections between the Packers and Saints here. Yeah, Jared Cook too, former Packer. who Yeah, chose- yeah Marcus Davenport, who the Saints had to trade yeah. with the Packers up to go get. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any others, but that's that's probably enough to, to fill a bunch of uh, media storylines <laughs> the course of this week, to say the least. So if any of them are listening, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, that I think that kind of does it for us today, Ben. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, not particularly. I mean, it's nice to, to get off the season on, on the right foot and 2-0. There's a couple really competitive teams that haven't been gotten out the gate uh, as smoothly. So to sit here 2-0 and with two division wins and one of them on the road, certainly, just think it's a really comfortable time for the Packers. Uh, I don't know if people are too excited or now is the time to attack all the draft complex conversation that we've been facing the last three, four months, but um, excited to have them keep it rolling, you know, and excited to watch them in primetime next week and to see where the kind of national conversation goes on this team. Am I wrong in feeling that this is the best that the offense has felt since pre uh, Jordy Nelson torn ACL? I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, I, I, I've, you know, I, I go back to the last couple of seasons and just the way that the offenses felt. There's always been just a, a tiny hint and sometimes more than a tiny hint of just something a little bit disjointed, a little bit off. For all their success a season ago, it never seemed like they could really put a full game of consistent offense together. The Raiders game was probably the exception. Even the kind of the Eagles game was a kind of an exception in a loss. That offense looked really good that game, especially prior to Devontae Adams going out. But th- this has just felt totally different and in rhythm. And it, it just gives me 
a totally different level of confidence. Whereas even today, when they were down 14 to three, it didn't seem daunting at all that they were down 14 to three, which I don't know at any point last season, if I would have felt the same way. You know, in a, in a weird way, I kind of feel like that era, you know, with Jordy and even taking it back a little further with that uh, really dominant offensive arsenal with Jermichael Finley and Greg Jennings, and they were just deep at every position and six deep at receiver. That seems like it was more of the Jimmys and Joes, and now is a little bit more of the X's and O's. And those guys back then were just so good. Jordy was better than the corner he was against. Jermichael was better than the safety coming down trying to guard him. And now I don't know if we have a lot of, you know, Devontae's the best route runner in the NFL. But the positions are putting these guys in, the creativity in the pass game, creativity in the scheme, the versatility, the bunches, the motions, the shifts. Seeing a lot more incorporation, I think, from the coaching staff in putting these stars in positions to be successful. So kind of funny, uh, fun comparison and parallel to reflect on the two teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving every second of it. It's been so fun to watch through two weeks, hoping they can you know, continue that success against a really talented New Orleans Saints team. I think that game's going to be phenomenal with the Saints coming off one last day of uh, rest than the Packers due to Monday night football. So should be really fun. Ben, let's do this again in two weeks. Thank you so much. Uh, love your thoughts and your knowledge as always. That does it for today's podcast. Make sure to check out an all-new episode tomorrow. Also, if you have not yet, make sure to check out YouTube, the Pack-A-Day podcast on YouTube. I do about an 8 to 10 minute, 5 to 10 minutes, somewhere in there, uh, episode every single day where I just give you my thoughts on the Packers. So if you haven't yet, make sure to check that out and go out and subscribe as well. We appreciate you all listening again tomorrow for an all-new Pack-A-Day podcast. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!